Judy sings. That was a blessing. Uh, we're continuing on in the book of Mark this morning, uh, chapter 3, verses 13 through 19. But I'm actually going to read from the book of John. As this particular scripture focuses on the disciples, those who Jesus called, and we're all to be disciples. I think many times our focus becomes on the real estate that awaits us instead of the relationship that is ours. And the two go together. The real estate is a result of the relationship. My parents have been deceased for a lot of years now, and I did get an inheritance on their death, but I would much rather have them. I would much rather be with them. And the truth of the matter is, although there is a great real estate that awaits us, what's far greater is the relationship with Jesus Christ that is ours, that awaits us. And, and we're going to look today at the ones that Jesus called, those 12 that we so often talk about. And we're going to look at the fact that if God can choose a group like that, he can use a group like us. And so, uh, but for our text, I actually want to read from Jesus' prayer. It's found in John chapter 17. And we'll read from verses 12 through 23. So I'll ask if you'll stand in our great God's honor as I read aloud. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. The world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as I have loved you. Let's pray. God, thank you that we can gather, Lord. Father, I think of our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan who are going through turmoil and whose ability to gather is going to come under fire. Father, as... Uh, suffer for your sake and I want to just take a moment and, and pray for our brothers and sisters God may you cover them Lord with Jesus and Father may you divinely care for them and, and Father I, I don't know what they may have to suffer but you do 
And we know that whatever that may be, that's worth it. So help them, guard them. And Father, for those of us here who are also called to follow you, Father, show us, guide us, um, wake us up, Lord, to you. And Father, help us to see that the real estate matters, but the relationship <coughs> is far more important, Lord. And so guide us, uh, work through what remains of this time together in worship. And Father, as we look at what it means to follow you and these guys that you chose to follow you, Jesus. And I, I just pray that you move in the time we have left. May we just continue to look to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. When you look at a business and you look at an organization, they have team building rules that teach us how critical, how important it is to pick the right people. And, and not just the right people, but the right people that fit together so that you can have this well-oiled machine that is able to accomplish some strategic goals in order to build a dream or a vision. What's crazy, though, is when you look at these type of principles and the qualities or the character of the type of people necessary to build something great. And, and guys, I am not trying to knock such principles because there have been many corporations and businesses and, and even some churches that have grown greatly with numbers that have used many of these principles. But the truth of the matter is, when you look at what Jesus did to build His kingdom and the people He called, it looks as if He didn't use any of these principles and ideals. And when you look at the people that he picked, it certainly would not impress you and make you believe, boy, look at those guys. They're first class. Uh, maybe you've heard this. This is something I've had in my illustration notes for years. But it's called the Jordan Management Consultants. And it's a letter. It says, uh, fictitious, of course. Thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men you have selected for management positions in your new organization. All of them have now taken our battery of tests and we have run the results. It is our staff's opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in background, education, and vocational aptitude for the type of work you are undertaking. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and given to an offensive temper. Andrew has absolutely no qualities of leadership. Brother James and John, sons of Zebedee, place personal interest above company loyalty. Frankly, they're mama's boys. Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude that would tend to undermine morale. We feel it is our duty to tell you that Matthew has been blacklisted by our Greater Jerusalem Business Bureau. James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, have definite leanings toward the radical and register high on the manic depressive scale. One of the candidates does, however, show great potential. He is a man of ability and resourcefulness. He has a keen mind. He's highly motivated, as well as ambitious and responsible. We recommend, as your controller and right-hand man, Judas Iscariot. You see, although there is certainly value 
in many of the principles and ideals in building something. What is more important than the principles is a true, living, face-to-face walk with the Master, Jesus Christ. And and I want to look at this morning, uh, our particular text of Scripture, a large portion of it names these twelve that Jesus picked. And I want to go into more detail, though, about these twelve, because I think that in them we can also learn about our walk to Jesus Christ. So, first I want to look at the process of Jesus choosing these twelve. First, it was personal. Look at verse 13. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. That word called literally has the picture of a face-to-face meeting. You see, Jesus wasn't about just merely sending a letter or sending another messenger to talk to these guys and to tell them that, you know, they're the fortunate ones who have been picked to be part of Jesus' ministry. No, he met them face to face. And he talked to them personally. Eye to eye. (laughs) He wanted to be sure and connect in a personal manner with these disciples. It was intimate. And that's, that's how Jesus wants to work in our lives. He wants there to be an intimate walk with the living God, with Jesus Christ. Secondly, the calling was prayerful. If you look in Luke chapter 6, verses 12 and 13, we learn that Jesus Christ spent a whole night praying. He did not take lightly picking these twelve. But he prayerfully talked to the Father wanted to be in perfect connection and agreement with the Father over these twelve. And so the human part of Jesus Christ leaned fully in prayer upon the Father. And, And this was a critical part of that choosing. And then thirdly, Jesus' calling was purposeful. Look at verse 14 of our text. He appointed twelve, designating them apostles, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. So the first part in this purpose through Jesus Christ was not to give them some great evaluation and test to see if they're going to make the cut. He wanted to invest his life in them. You see... uh, There's an old saying that much of discipleship is not taught, but it is caught. And what happened was these guys hung out with Jesus day after day. They they heard what Jesus taught, but they also watched what Jesus did. They saw Jesus, the love that he had and the way he dealt with people and and his mission and and that he was authentic and, and that he was real. And this investment of being with Jesus eventually had a purpose to send them out to preach and to send them out in spiritual warfare, say to have power over the arch enemy, the devil, the demons. 
And all of this was so that the kingdom of God could advance. And this is a powerful thought. Jesus calls us, first off, to spend time personally with Him, to grow closer to Him by being with Him. And that leads, though, to us not only spending time alone with Him, but in His power to go out to serve Him and to share Him and to let others personally know about Him. And even when the devil and, and his henchmen face against us, there is power from being with Him that enables us to serve Him in victory. You see, to be a disciple simply means to follow. We are called to follow. As we follow, He calls us to lead. The word apostle means to be sent out. You see, He doesn't want us only to come here. He wants us to come here, but He wants us to come here so that we may be energized to go out. It is not to come here and nothing else happen. It is because God has a direct purpose for us. Now, I, I want us to look at the background of these guys. I, as I studied this, I thought it was really interesting. At first, just a couple of um, truths from the four lists. There are four lists that are given us of the twelve. They're found in Matthew chapter 10. In the text we're looking at today, Mark chapter 3, in Luke chapter 6, and in chapter 1 of the book of Acts. Now, in all four of these lists, the first thing that we see is that Simon, Peter, is listed first. This doesn't mean that Simon Peter is far and above the most spiritual of the group, but primarily it means that with his leadership gifts, God had placed him aside. He just had a, a natural type of charisma to be first in rank. And the guy that was always listed last was Judas Iscariot. And I don't think you need a lot of preaching to figure that one out. And he would come up last upon the list. Secondly, each list has three groups of disciples consisting of four members each. The first group, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. The second group, Philip, Bartholomew, Nathan or Nathaniel, Thomas, and Matthew. The third group, James, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot. It's kind of interesting because as you look at four groups, you know the most about the first group of four that's listed. And in descending order, each group you know less and less about. The knowledge of them decreases. Thirdly, along with that, we understand each group of disciples, not only is there less information about them, but there is also, apparently, less intimacy in descending order of the groups among these disciples that Jesus personally spent time with. And then one last thing here. Fourthly, among these disciples... There are extreme examples. I want you to notice first, Peter and John have tremendous emotional differences. When you look at Peter, he is ambitious and he loves to move at a moment's notice. I mean, he's, he's in the middle of everything just as quickly as it happens. 
John, on the other hand, he's much more meditative. So I can just imagine Peter, you know, saying to John, you need to get, get moving. We got stuff to do. We got to serve Jesus today. There's mission out there. And, and come on, get up. And John's saying, brother, I'm in prayer. I'm spending time. I am being meditative. Just chill for a few minutes, okay? And yet, you know what? We are all different in emotional makeup. It doesn't make uh, any of us superior, but rather it is God's body, all of us, in our differences, working together for His kingdom. And God puts us together like pieces of a puzzle. There are also tremendous spiritual differences in Nathaniel and Thomas. It's interesting, when you look at Nathaniel, every time that it speaks of Nathaniel, he is in agreement with God. He believes what Jesus has to say. He just simply says, He said it, I believe it, that's the end of it. That's Nathaniel. But when you look at Thomas, he wants some proof. He wants some evidence you know, I'm into the, Thomas says, I'm into that scientific method, observation. I, you know, that's what I want to know. And the fact of the matter is, uh, that's true within the body of Christ. There are some people, they want to search. You know, I'm one, God's place within me. I love to research and I love to study in, in, in the scriptures and, and all that. But I also have a tremendous amount of faith for some of the brothers and sisters I know. Man, they just have a simple, true, clear faith that I admire too. And both are important. Both work together for God's glory and for what He does. And then the, the third example of differences are political differences. You have Matthew who sold out Israel for Rome to get rich. As a tax collector, he was able to collect a lot of taxes and make a lot of money. And so he was an enemy to the Israelites, to God's people, the Jews. And then you had Simon the Zealot, who was an enemy of Rome. And the Zealots, they would do guerrilla warfare or whatever was necessary to try to harm the enemy, the Roman Empire. And you know, it's crazy if you think about it, that you had Matthew, this guy who sold out his people, and you had this zealot, uh, Simon, who in a moment's notice probably had quite the temper to attack. I mean, it takes Jesus for him probably not to come up behind Matthew and stab him in the back and take him out. It's amazing that this particular group of guys would be called by Jesus to work together because they look like, at first observance, they would kill each other. That they would not want to be together, much less serve together for God's glory and for His work. And yet, God took those differences through His power and He changed the world and turned the world upside down and nobody certainly would have suggested to do it the way Jesus did it. And you know what? It just goes to show Jesus doesn't need our advice. He can handle it. Uh, listen to this. I thought this was good. I found this. It said, um, Longfellow, the author, could take a piece of paper worth nothing, write a poem on it, and make it worth thousands. That's called genius. Rockefeller could sign his name to a blank check and it would be worth millions. That's called riches. A mechanic can take a $50 piece of material and make something out of it worth hundreds. That's called skill. 
A painter can take a $2 piece of canvas, splash something on it, and make it worth thousands. That's called art. Jesus Christ can take worthless, sinless people, cleanse them by His blood, blend them together to promote His cause. That is the greatest miracle of all. That is called grace. That's what He does in us. All right, I want to look at the inadequacies of these guys, of the chosen twelve. First inadequacy is that the disciples had a tremendous lack of understanding. These guys had hung out with Jesus, they had spent time with Him, but sometimes they appeared to not have a clue. Where have you guys been? Do you daydream all the time? Uh, this is from Matthew 16, 21 through 23. Jesus is, of course, sharing with his disciples. And here's what he says. He says, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. So Jesus is telling them about the cross about his purpose, why he's, why he's there. And Peter, you know, wonderful Peter, who had it all together, I'm being sarcastic, listen to his response, Pete's response, verse 22. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Shoo. Man, look what he says. Never, Lord. This shall never happen to you. In other words, Jesus, as long as I'm around, you don't have to worry about these guys hurting you. I got it all under control. And Jesus, this stuff about you dying and about you suffering, I don't want to hear that stuff. You got me. It's going to work out. Don't worry about it. And, and how Jesus responds, you guys know, he says in verse 23, Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. He didn't get it. And I didn't see the other disciples stepping up to tell Peter that he was wrong, that he didn't have a clue. These guys, even though he had spent time with Jesus, they lacked understanding in john 21 jesus has died he comes back he appears to the disciples and he's talking to peter and you think peter got it he was supposed to be fishing for men he's fishing for fish again he's gone back to his old way of life and jesus appears to him and he says peter do you love me he says this three times to him Peter, feed my sheep. Lord, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. Do you love me, Peter? Of course I love you, Lord. Feed my sheep. And you know, that, that third time, he, he looked powerfully in, into Peter's eyes. and He loves you. And, and bam. <laughs> you know, it, it clicked before Peter, but he didn't get it. So what was Christ's solution? Christ's solution, in one word, was instruction. 
You see, Jesus Christ, throughout his ministry, he continued to teach. He continued to share the truth. He continued to share the words that were needed by his followers. And that was Christ's solution. Secondly, a second inadequacy was they had a tremendous lack of commitment. These guys were not sold out at first, although they had spent time with Christ. In Mark chapter 14, verse 50, we're told Jesus was captured. And they all ran off in fear. They fled. They, they didn't stay beside Jesus. You know, they had said earlier, Oh, Lord, no matter what happens, we're going to hang out to you to the death. You can count on us, Lord. We're in your corner. If there's anyone that's going to be faithful, you're looking at us, Lord. We're the guys. And yet, when the time came, they ran away afraid. They fled. So, what was Christ's solution? Did he yell at them? Did he strongly rebuke them? Did he remind them what they had said before? No, he prayed. As the scripture we started out with was a reminder that Christ prayed for his disciples. And guess what? If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a disciple. And that prayer was not only for the twelve, for all disciples. For you and for me as his followers and as his disciples. And what a thought. Jesus is praying for us. Of course, we always talk about praying for one another. And we talk about praying to Jesus, but he prays for us. All right, one more inadequacy that I want to give you. They had a lack of humility. <laughs> uh, in Mark chapter 9, verses 33 through 37, in verse 33, it says, They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, Jesus, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? One commentator had said this journey probably took five to seven hours. So Jesus is walking to these guys for five and seven hours. Afterward, they get there and he says, What were you guys carrying on about on the road? What were you talking about? Verse 34, it says, But they kept quiet because on the way they had argued about who was the greatest. So in other words, Jesus nailed them. Jesus says, What were you guys complaining about, arguing about the whole time? Jesus, we really don't want to talk about it. You know, they were quiet. They, did, they didn't want to come clean. You see, here are guys that are, Jesus is grooming. He is preparing to change the world. And all they care about at the moment is, I'm the top dog, not you. Peter, you need to take a bath. Just shut up. No, I'm going to be the head guy. Says the sons of thunder, you know, did John and James, and all this fighting's carrying back and forth because they want to be top dog. That, that was the debate that was going on. It was silly. In Matthew 20, verses 20 through 28, we're told that the, that debate it got so hot that James and John went and got mommy. They got mommy to get involved in the equation. And they're standing there, and Mom pops in, and she says to Jesus, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, I want you to let my son, my boy James, he's a good boy, sit on your left, and my boy John, he's a fine boy, sit on your right. 
And I can just see Peter rolling his eyes and saying, Mama's boy. You see the, this bickering that was carrying on. And what was Christ's solution? Christ was the example. I mean, Christ could have easily said, Guys, I am the living God. I am. You should worship me. You should serve me. Instead of arguing about which of you is the greatest, you should simply say, Jesus Christ is the greatest. I, you know? But they, he didn't do that. What did he do? In John chapter 13, he washed their feet. He served them. And ultimately, the greatest sign of his humility was that he went to the cross on our behalf. Now, as I wrap this thing up, I want to give you a little bit of application, and we're done, guys, in, in, by a series of questions. The first question is, do you want to be a disciple? Do you want to be a follower of Christ? The truth of the matter is, I want you to be a follower of Jesus, but you are the only one who can answer that question. And, and you know, through the years of being a Christian and being involved in churches, I have always heard all the pressure of, well, the reason people aren't at church and the reason people are walking away is, is because they're not being discipled and the church is failing because they're not discipling. And yes, there is some truth to that argument, but the other side is you can't feed somebody who's not hungry. There has to be a hunger. There has to be a thirst. And so although I, I, I want you to know Christ and to follow Christ and to belong to Christ and to serve Christ, I cannot make you do that. As a matter of fact, if you look through the scriptures, I don't see any scriptures where Jesus is begging people, will you please follow me? Will you, will you please come? You know, I, I need more people. I mean, Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus simply says, follow. And then guess what? It's up to us individually to follow. Now, if you say yes to that question, <laughs> have some other questions. Number two, are you involved in instruction? In other words, man, I'm, I'm glad that you're here, part of this worship service, and, and we are focusing upon the scriptures and God's instruction, but this is not enough. This should be to jumpstart the week, not to finish the week. This isn't I go home, next week I come back and I, I get another little dose of, of God's instruction. No, this should be something that says, man, I want to go home. I want to get into the Bible myself. I, I want to read it. I want to learn what I can from listening to God's teachers through so many ways now, podcasts and radio and the, you know, the computer everything else. And, and I want to learn more. Is there a hunger and a thirst to grow in righteousness? It's part of being a disciple. Number three, are you involved in supplication? In other words, are you a person of prayer? Do you pray for others? Do you spend time talking to the God of all about the stuff of this place? about people. This is also a critical part of being a follower of Jesus Christ, is understanding that it is not enough for me to fix it. I need God's help in showing me even what I'm supposed to be doing. 
where I'm supposed to be going, who I'm supposed to be, that Jesus Christ may teach me. And this all happens through prayer. And then fourthly, and the last one, are you involved in serving? You see, the fact of the matter is we are called to be followers of Christ. The fact of the matter is we are called to study and we are called to learn to be instructed by Him, and that leads us to pray, to be vitally connected to Him, the living God. But all that turns us into servants. It is not just a matter of, i got to get bigger, i got to get stronger, I want people to see I'm spiritual. It is so that we can serve. It is so that we can help others. It is so that we can belong to Him in a world that does not know him. Um, there's a story of a great violinist who wanted to prove a point. And so this great violinist had invited everybody to this music hall and he had informed them that he was going to t play a $20,000 violin. So they filled the place. It was packed. The violinist got up and he began to play beautiful music from the violin. After he played a couple of songs, he threw the violin down, and he stomped it, and he smashed it, and people were going, <gasps> And then the violinist said, uh, now I will play the $20,000 violin. I was playing a $20 violin. <laughs> and so he takes another violin, an expensive one, and he begins to play it. And the truth of the matter is, except for the most talented and trained of ears, there wasn't a lot of difference to the sound of the music. Why? Because it depended on whose hand the violin was in. Who was playing the violin? That was what the response of the music was from the one playing, not merely the instrument. And guys, the truth of the matter is, most of us are $20 violins. But you know what? If we are in the hands of Jesus Christ, if we are letting Him play His beautiful music through us, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what we have. It matters that we are His. And that He is able to move and work through and so that is the challenge. Do you want to be a disciple? Do you have a hunger to be instructed by our Lord? Do you have a deep desire to be a prayer warrior? And do you have a heart to serve because of Christ? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that, Father, we could take time to look at your word, Lord. And I thank you for these 12 men that you chose which is a great example of the fact that it is not merely the quality, but it is the fact that you chose and that you take what you choose and you do a great mighty work, Lord. So, Father, for each of us here, we just ask for a touch of that, Lord. Work in us, Father, for you. Awaken us, God, to you. Father, some of us, there's not been any music coming out, and it's been more like a squall. So, Father, I pray that would change, oh God, that the Spirit of God would fall 
in your word. God, do something. Do something among us, Lord. I think of Jeremiah 14, verse 7, that tells us that although, although we have sinned, do something, Lord, for your name's sake. Though we have rebelled, though we have sinned against you. And so, Father, I just ask for your namesake that you take the weak. That's all of us. And that you do something, Lord. Not in the fact that in the future we won't sin or, or we won't disobey you. But do something for your namesake, God, among us, Lord. Be free to move, Lord, because we need you. And so, God, I, you know, I just simply ask, Father, at a time we call invitation, a time we call response, that, Lord, it'd be a time to say yes to what you have to say to us through your Spirit. And so, God, um, just move. In your name we pray. Amen.